Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe in 76ers with your host, former 76ers point guard Eric Snow and two Sixers fanatics in Marcus and Tasia Dash. Believe in 76ers is presented by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Marcus Dash here with legendary 76ers point guard Eric Snow and my brother Tasha Dash. Gentlemen, uh, got a nice little win the other day, and now we're about to finish out the week with another uh, win over Chicago, hopefully. Hopefully. I don't know, but Chicago's looking good. And, you know, the Dustin, uh, Brooklyn Nets the other day. Woo. Yep. Uh, ho- <laughs> hopefully they're going to come down back to reality after that. I don't one. really know what they're going to get from that one. I mean, they're capable of beating you. You know, we have beat them pretty good in the past, mainly because of Joel. Yeah, Joel. <laughs> Joel owns them, man. So. Yeah, well, what is uh, his all-time yeah. record between the Bulls and Knicks? Is he undefeated against both those teams when he plays? Uh, I know he's undefeated against the Knicks. I'm. He is 12-0 and 0 against the Bulls. Wow. Man. Well, there you go. So, so he, yeah, that's crazy. He's fifteen and one against the Knicks, so he's twenty-seven and one against them. Guess wow. he want to give them a chance, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they want they want to see. They maybe they want to just do an experiment and see if it's just Joel or maybe it's a Philadelphia thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned uh, the win the other night without Embiid. So tonight we will be the same thing without Embiid against the Bulls. Uh, but let's talk about what we saw the other night. So Sixers were shorthanded without Embiid, uh, but still battled for a big win versus Indiana. Couldn't have been close at all, but somehow we like to make things uh, interesting. Uh, reminded me a lot of the Lakers game, that game. But um, as good as Harden's offense was, it was his defense that really helped us win down the stretch. Um, Harden noted after the game, uh, he said he took it personally when Indiana targeted him on pick and rolls and wanted to step up. So I got two questions for you guys. Uh, were you more impressed with Harden's offense or defense uh, against the Pacers? And do you think Harden's lackluster de- defense throughout his career has been more about ability or is it effort? Well, I mean, I think <clears throat> I was just happy that we got the win. What Doing whatever is necessary to get the win whether that would be offensively or that would be defensively. Uh, you need to stop, we got to stop. You need a bucket and play, we got to play. So <clears throat> I don't really think it's one or the other. I just think it was just a combination of when we needed a play, you know, he made some plays. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that defense is a want to. Um, it's also a know-how. And it's also a dedication. And that the probably the fourth thing is a coach holding you accountable to do that. Um, 
But I do feel that James could have been better in his career, but I do think that coaches hit him um, purposely. Um, so if you kind of get used to like, you know, being hit and guarding the guy that's not as active and, you know, you're not putting a lot of pick and rolls and, you know, you don't really have to do it. Or they switch a lot or do different things to kind of, you know, accommodate you. You kind of get used to playing that way. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I, but I, I do think that he's more capable than, um, you know, what, what's been shown because the defensive concerns that people have had about him didn't follow him into college and it wasn't there as early in his career. Like you didn't hear those things. Yeah. Um, so I think it was more of the load he was, he, he had started to get in Houston. Um, it was sort of like, if you want me to do all this, then I got to pull back somewhere. Exert your energy playing yes. offense, James. <laughs> Go ahead. Was, you know, to me, it was sort of the, you know, what suffered. But I don't think it was because of know-how. They actually built their teams to enable the bad, the poor defense. No, it was just, you know, lack of the ability to play with that much, you know, energy for everything he was asked to do offensively. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing that with a lot of guys in the league nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Donovan Mitchell comes to mind because he was actually touted as like kind of a borderline two two way player for a while. Like he was he had the he had the makeup, he had the long arms. But then he just started becoming like a, you know, shoot 25 times a game, hold the offense down for the Jazz. And the Jazz had such a defensive team around him anyway. You didn't really need him to be the exert all your energy playing on-ball defense guy. So um, I did see a tweet yesterday that said Harden's defense allowed 33% against uh, who he defended. Uh, he had two blocks, a steal, um, and held a healed uh, Matherin and Naismith to combine two of 13. So uh, between that and going for 26, 6, and 8, shooting just under 50%, I'd say defensively I was more impressed because I've seen him do that offensive so much. He's, he does it all the time, right? So it doesn't, you know, it just it's he spoils us because it's like he makes 26, uh, uh, 6, and 8 look routine. So um, I – what was the second question? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with your, your assessment, Eric. I, I think he can. I think like, like he's he kind of even said it when he in his comment. He was like, you know, I didn't appreciate being targeted in the pick and rolls with Halliburton, so I turned it up a notch. You mean you play defense? <laughs> like <laughs> you didn't really turn it up, you turned it on. <laughs> it was off, dude. You just oh shoot! It was like the Christmas vacation when they flip the switch and all the lights come on. It's like all you need to do is just flip the switch in the garage. That's all you need to do. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of funny to hear that. Uh, him kind of admit that you know unknowingly. Um, but yeah, again, it was it was, it was a good win. And, and Indiana, Indiana, they made a deal or two. They could be a tricky. They could be a tough team, man. They they have some good pieces on them. They're not there yet, but you know we've seen them. They played us tough. They beat some really good teams in the past week, two weeks. They're they're they could be a tough team. Tough team to do what? <laughs> <laughs> tough team to uh, uh, give take uh, the number two seed to like four games. <laughs> I mean, that's what, I'm, I'm looking at them like, yes, they got a nice little young group. They play play well together. They play hard. And I told you Rick's a really good coach. Yeah. Um, 
but I can't see them beating any teams four times. Nah, they could take a game. I'd be very surprised if they beat anybody in the playoffs four times. I would be surprised. It's possible, but I would be surprised if they did that. Um, Being it with a game, I'm saying being that they're a sixth or seventh seed right now, which means that most likely all of their games would be against the top four or five. Yeah. Um, All of their round, you know, all of their rounds. So. That's why I don't. That's why I don't see it happen. Do I think they can be some teams that are fighting for position with them? Yes, but I I just can't see them beating one through five. Um, and you know if, if assuming we're one of the five and us and the Nets and yeah, they'd get smoked by the Nets. All, you know what I'm saying? Like I just don't. I don't see it. Might steal game from a, a Middleton less Bucks. But yeah, I think they can win. They can win the game, but I don't say I'm talking about winning the series. Yeah, no, I don't think they'll win the series. I, I just for a team like that at this point, even winning like a game or two against like a top level town would be pretty good. Considering I don't think anyone had any expectations for them coming into the season. Yeah. So you know yeah. they went from about to trade Miles Turner to now they're gonna maybe resign him. So um, it shows you how how their outlooks change too, right? Well, that's what winning will do. Yep. Yeah, wasn't in the package of like a buddy healed and Miles Turner for something with the Lakers. That was not the, the rumor. At one point, yeah, they're not doing any of it. We don't yeah. know what that rumor is. We don't know how true that is. That's true. That's true. That could have just been the Lakers trying to draw up uh, any any kind of attention and uh, positive news for Westbrook trade. So I, mean, I, I don't even think it was the Lakers because there was no way the Lakers could turn that trade down. Like I, I just don't mm-hmm. for giving up a draft pick. I just don't think that they could be like, no, nah, we don't want that. Yeah. You get a big and you get a shooter, which you say you need, and you don't give it up because you want to not give up a pick. Yeah, they didn't want to give up their fifty million dollars six man. Come on, like, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't even think it was a rush thing because Russ being the last of his deal was a very attractive to yeah. a lot of teams. True, yeah. you know um, that deal is, you know, is like I said, it's going to be attractive because it's a, a contract that people can shed salary. Mm-hmm. So I still believe Russ probably gets traded during the um, the break for that reason. Yeah, for a team that's just done for the seat, like they're just yeah, like we're cashing in. We just want to like have a uh, yeah. expiring contracts and start from scratch next year. I just you know from a Lakers standpoint, I just don't you know you know what do you take back? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. why, that's what I'm saying. The Pacers thing was probably one of the best deals out there. Like, what do you take back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, so we talked about Harden's defense. Uh, I've seen some Sixers fans talk about, you know, Harden, you know, Harden coming in and having uh, you know, having the presence that he has offensively with Maxie and Melton kind of helping them step up their games. Uh, and then also uh and you could say maybe Melton's kind of rubbed off on Harden a little bit uh, defensively. Um, but the thing I, I saw about Melton, which kind of surprised me, um, because we talked about Melton we, a lot uh, was Melton has made multiple threes in 14 consecutive games, which is the third longest streak in 76ers franchise history behind these two 76ers. Uh, Eric, do you want to, you want to, you want to give a guess to the two Sixers that have more multiple three consecutive games? Mm-hmm. You played with one of them. Well, it's gotta be Kyle. If I played with him. Yeah. That's that. that, um, that he has 19 games with consecutive threes. Or multiple I would threes. say, JJ Reddick? Yeah. Yeah. So ding, ding, ding. 
Corver 19 games, Reich 17 games, and now Melton with 14 games. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just thinking the guys that could go on that kind of streak. Yeah. yeah. Like it had to be like a primary three point shooter mm. to go on streaks like that. Yeah. Consecutive, consecutive streak is what I'm saying. Consecutive. Um, yeah. I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't really play with many three point shooters in Philly, mm. quote unquote three point shooters, except for Kyle. Yeah. And, and Raja didn't become like a consistent three point shooter until after Philly, right? He wasn't like really a, a three point shooter. Bill? Yeah. Man, Coach probably wouldn't let anybody shoot no threes. Like <laughs> you, you said wouldn't let anyone shoot threes? I was trying to think of your team, that team, and I was like, man, who was like a. You could shoot a wide open three. Um, like if you were wide open, they left you wide open. Like he wouldn't be like, don't shoot that. Um, but he would say, don't shoot that if you keep shooting them and missing. He would say, scoot in, get closer while you're shooting. Out. That's not your shot. <laughs> scoot in closer and get a shot. <laughs> but everyone coached like that, though. It wasn't you know, like. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. It was three-point shooter shot threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we could, everybody else could shoot a wide open shot. Yeah. Like if they gave you a wide open shot, you take it. Um. You know, but most of the time, you know, if depends if they give you a wide open shot from 17 to 24 feet, they prefer you take the 17 foot. Mm-hmm. Man. Whereas How nowadays they changed it. Nowadays they prefer you take the three. Yep. Yeah. But then they were like, no, don't you know, that's that's even though they it, like I'm saying I said, like if the guy that was guarding me just in the paint and didn't run out there, they wouldn't want me to step into the shot. So I didn't even work on threes. Basically, wow. my whole career, I didn't even work on threes at all. Wow. Um, because it was just wasn't even a focus for teams. Yeah. That's crazy. Like you would go and I would spend time with them. What you doing that for? Like it was almost like that. Like, what are you what are you practicing that for? What are you taking trick shots, Eric? Get, get yeah, like what, what are you doing? Practicing for the <laughs> what are you playing horse? Get in there. The end of the quarter shot? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> shot clock running low. What is the yeah, situation? Shot clock running down. What about the Patriots? I used to like to take the shot clock shots. I guarantee you, if I can guarantee you, if if I took, and I don't even know how many threes I took, so if I took, let's just say fifty threes in my career, it would not surprise. I'm, I'm I'm telling you, I'm guessing though. I don't know for sure. Okay. I can guarantee you. 35 to 40% of those threes, if not more, were like in the shot clock or in the quarters. 35 to 40% of my threes. You were very, you were very, you shot, you said you shot three pointers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You 35 shot to 40% of them were um, in the quarter shot clocks, the shots that people wouldn't take. In your career, you shot a lot more than that in your career. Wait, he, he he made he made fifty five of them. Yeah, you made fifty five. So I shot a lot more um, in Cleveland than I did in Philly. Uh, I probably shot more in Cleveland in fewer years than I did in in Philly. <laughs> it, n- not the case, but your career high in a season was tied uh, uh, your first year in Cleveland, and then with um, ninety nine two thousand season, forty five was your career high in a season. But he, he, yeah, that, that same year though, you made thirteen threes with Cleveland, but you made eleven with uh, Philly. Yeah, that was your highest percentage, I believe, that season in Cleveland. And I'm telling you, in those years, if I didn't take those shots, 
the guys, you know, guys jump up and then they let the clock run out. They go, hey, and then they throw it up there. Yeah. Those shots. Um, if I did that, not saying that my percentage obviously would jump up, but um, it it would probably if I was say twenty whatever it was, I would go up easily close to ten percent, eight to ten percent if I take those shots away. Mm. I, I mean, I felt that I could have been analytics wise, I could have been a thirty three percent shooter. What they tell me, mm. I believe, I firmly believe that mm. if I worked on it because I worked on the and you know it was, it was hard back then to shoot back then if you shot 40 percent from the field it, you were considered a decent shooter yep um because it was so hard to, to score that's true yeah i mean it's just so different yeah it's it's crazy man like what you from what you're describing with the percentages and 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 ticking down percentages based on like last second heaves from a three-pointer that's almost like what guys do now with like half court shots they have to decide oh should i get out this half court shot or i don't want to play my percentages (laughs) it's like back then that was like three pointers like nah, i'm not taking this (laughs) that's why i'm saying i'm looking at you know how amazing these guys be shooting from so deep it's like amazing to me like they just shoot they just do it with such ease yeah um from from so deep you know like i i wasn't physically get this you know you look at my I cannot see it. You see, like that, like that's the furthest back my wrists go. So I could never be really a deep shooter. Um, you know, look at a guy like Steph Curry, like Steph Curry's hand like goes back here. It's like yeah. crazy. It flicks. Um, yes. So that's so I, I played with that since I was probably in middle school, high school, and I had a wrist injury and you know, never really got it fixed. Um but Coach Brown used to always tell people that story. I'm like, why are you telling people that? Oh, this is why Eric Cannon. So if you see, you can see this pictures that I had. <laughs> this is icebreaker. I'm like this, and the ball is like rolling down my hand while I'm shooting. <laughs> Man. So, yeah, it's, you know, he used, to, he used to love telling that story. <laughs> I, I actually was going to bring this up earlier in the, in the first question uh, when you were talking about how um, coaches can a- enable uh, a guy by um, hiding him and stuff. That I was gonna bring up Brown. That's that would not be Brown style, right? Brown would not uh, encourage that. We wouldn't. Well, I mean, we wanted to win, so it's he. He would necessarily like me offensively. He wouldn't necessarily hide me, but he would put me in position to. If I had to take a shot, I'm taking a shot from the places that I'm more comfortable. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't really stash me in the corner because my best shot was top of the key for me. That was my best shot, my best percentage. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'm guessing. Like, I don't do the analytics. Now, I, I can believe that I was above 50% from that area. Okay. Um. So he would try to put me in position to get my shots there. Um. Defensively, um, I would say hiding we would, AI. We would, we would try to put Allen in position where he didn't have to do the things that he wanted to do, like play the guard, defend the pick and roll. Yeah. So if it was a guy that, like, we played Milwaukee, for instance, Allen didn't really like to guard the pick and roll, and he didn't really like guys to post him up. So that's why he went in front of everybody. So 
That's why I guarded against Milwaukee. That's why I guarded Sam Cassell, and he guarded Ray Allen. Because he yeah. liked guarding those guys. That's why I guarded Mark Jackson, and he guarded really Reggie Miller. Mm. Because Mark would just post him up and put him in pick and rolls, whereas Reggie yep. was just coming off screens, and he was like, good, I'll do that. I'll chase Pretty similar to Allen, actually, Ray yeah. Allen. So um, that was kind of like where you can say we hit him, but – how much are you really hiding if he's guarding Ray Allen and Reggie Miller? That, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I guess so I think there was there were we didn't really it wasn't necessarily hiding him. It was just kind of like finding the right finding the right thing matchup. to help people. Yeah. So, um, so. <laughs> just the way you did it, man. Our defense was different though. Like we we could we had bigs that were active and athletic and smart. So we could play a Kobe Bryant and play him differently on pick, in pick and rolls. So we could play him based if he was on the left side and right side. We could, you know, downing, we could trapping um, based on which side he was on and who else was in the pick and roll. You know, like if Shaq was in the pick and roll, we basically played it one way, no matter which side it was on, because you couldn't really get a body off of Shaq. But if somebody else was in there, if we didn't want to switch or we didn't want to, you know, because you didn't want to switch anybody on Kobe, like we could play it different different sides. So that's why I think like now there's so much switching going on that you don't get into that. Like you don't get into the, you know, if a guy's on the right side, um, you send him left. You could be sending him left, but depending on what side of the court is, it would be a different, you know, scheme, defensive scheme. You know, now people that – Color coded, <clears throat> blue, white, red, black. Some people were numbers. Um, ours was basically swift. You know, we just talked it out. Yeah, who, who was in it? And we could we we did a run and jump, pick and roll, and we could do that because Allen was so and was so fast. And then when we had Aaron at um, three, we were we could move like that. So we could who no matter who was in the pick and roll. We would have the weak side guard. As soon as he came off, like if Allen couldn't get over the screen, mm-hmm. have that other guard just go, go basically like he's tracking, tracking, um, trapping the ball, and then Allen would scoot out and just go get the guy in the corner. And he would a lot of times he would be there before the ball got there. <laughs> yeah. And so then I would kind of play like in between, or either I would be the guy to come and Aaron to play in between. And Allen would be that guy that gets the furthest guy away because he was so fast he could get there. And then he was so small that if anybody tried to screen him, it was going to be an illegal screen because he was going to fly all over the court on the little yep. tap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Remember. So you couldn't, really, you couldn't really screen him. You almost had to let him run. Um, so we were able to do that a lot of times in his pick and rolls. And that's what I'm saying. Like it's That's kind of like – it's a scheme, but it's also hiding too. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of both. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. A tap would make him fly. Yeah, it wasn't even flopping because he wanted oh, yeah. weight. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys, are, you guys are huge, man. They they hit him a little, but he's gone. He was way. He, they they had him listed at like one one sixty one sixty five. But when he won the MVP. He got on the scale like around that time, and he was like. It might have been like after a game though, but he was like 156, 157. Okay. After the game. That with was a jer- with, with a wet jersey on. 
Well, I mean, he had, he had his shorts on, just the undershirt. You know, okay, so that's, okay. that was the one time I remember, like, this dude just won the MVP and he's under 160 pounds. Crazy, wow. man. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. AI was crazy because he, he was like a normal dude's size. Like, that's what a lot of people were amazed. We would go in hotels and that was the one thing that when we would walk in, that was the one thing that, like, people were, like, amazed that, like, I'm bigger than them. Like, you know, it's like you heard that all the time. Like, man, look how small he is. I can't believe I'm small. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Um, so sticking with the uh, the defensive theme, um, and we talked about numbers and 40%. We're, we're going to get into Tage's guy here, Eric. And they, you know, I'm going to say this guy, Tage hasn't brought up this guy in a while. So I'm curious what he has to say about uh, about Matisse. Um, so Matisse Dibble dominating um and according to uh, jason timberley uh he tweeted out an interesting stat that i felt needed to be discussed it said the sixers are outscoring opponents by 15.7 points per 100 possessions in the 386 minutes that Thibel is on the court which i thought was wild um it's the best net rating of any player in the league with uh, 300 plus minutes um so and this is something i also heard on uh the espn nba show uh, Stephen A. Smith said that the Sixers need to give Matisse Thibault more minutes. So my question is to you guys, uh, is it time to give Matisse more minutes and where would those minutes come from? Well, I guess you could, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really see why he, his minutes really, it didn't happen. Like I went into the season, you know, it wasn't whether he would be a starter for you. It was just. That's right. Yeah. You picked him to be a starter. Him not playing never really came into my thought process until the season started. Um, so maybe in camp, you know, they were proven different. But I, I mean, I do, I do think with the season as long as it is, guys having injuries, um, maybe cutting down minutes. I, I do think that um, you can find a way. Uh, I think when the guards went out. And Shake came and played as well as he did. That I think they've kind of said we're gonna get. He's kind of like earned, you know, set minutes, guaranteed minutes. So I think that's kind of shook it up a little bit. Um, that he went from a guy that was in and out of the lineup to a guy that's in the lineup. Um, but so I think it could happen. I think maybe as the season goes on. Maybe you get some of PJ's minutes. Yeah. Especially, you know, I thought Tobias, especially the better type Tobias is playing, the more you can probably give him some of PJ's minutes. Otherwise, I think it's tough. I mean, if they, they because they're going to three guard lineups even more. So, so basically, they're giving that extra guard PJ's minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Melton in most cases, yeah. yeah. So I know in the playoffs it's it's not gonna happen because that rotation is gonna be a, a solid eight, maybe nine. Um he he may just end up being a situational player. Like I don't I don't think that that stat is great, but I don't think that stat is gonna influence them to play him because of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's there. So um Dave earlier for Liberty Ballers wrote a fantastic article. Even even like a, a Bill Simmons retweeted it was like, yeah. "I never sold my uh, Thibel stocks." What Simmons said, um, 
So here's, here's some nuggets I found interesting, right? So for the limited time he was on, CJ McCollum, he shut him down. Limited time, right? So two points, one of three from the field, one turnover, no three-point attempt. So he didn't let him take one. This, um, the, which which game was that one? The game where he dominated? Second game. He, he hardly saw him in the first game. Second game, I believe. Um, and no three-point attempts from CJ is impressive because CJ doesn't need much room. He'll jack him up, man. He'll, he'll just do that little step back, sidestep, and shoot it. Um, so although we have the fourth highest rated defense allowing 110.8 points per 100 possessions, with him on the floor, they hold teams to 103 per 100. Uh, and then scoring three more points per 100 possessions. Our offense actually scores more points per 100 possessions as well. The differential with him on the floor, as far as points per 100 possessions, goes to plus 14.2 when he's on, Damn. which is really, really impressive. Um, so Thibel's name's in the four of the te- the top uh, trios um, that are, are, are on the Sixers. Um uh, the trio of Toby, Embiid, and Matisse is a plus 78, fourth best on the team. Um, he's 96 percentile on defense, 10th on offense, and his total plus minus are around guys like Reggie Jackson, Terry Rozier, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, third overall on the team with plus minus behind Joel and Harden. Wow. Uh, and his differential and expected wins are top on the team. We're 9-2 and two when he plays 16 minutes or more and 5-1 and one when he starts. Wow. So a lot of great nuggets there. Um, as far as the questions go, I'm not sure what it well, It's funny. You said I haven't mentioned it, it, it. When you said that, I thought of like how um, they say that uh, uh, if you don't hear like a cornerback's name being mentioned, it means he's doing a good job. So that's kind of how it is with Thibault. If I don't <laughs> say his name, it means he's doing a good job on the court. Um, I'm not sure why. I, I mean, I, we have a talented teams, right? So it's a good problem to have. Um, he should see more minutes. The article speculates is actually it's all about you know saying all of his good stats and it speculates as to why. Um, kind of what Eric said, but they they said they don't think it's uh, a crunch time or playoff viable those stats. So although they look great, they don't know how that translates at the end of the game when you actually need buckets, right? Um, that's, that's what I was saying. Like I didn't, I don't think this would be a situation where Doc would be like, this is something yeah. that we need, or like I think it's just just good for him. Yeah, <laughs> maybe for a trade. Uh, so uh, Maury's actually talked about it before. He said that in the past that specialists uh, become tough to play because if you don't put five scoring threats on the floor on offense, you become incredibly easy to guard. So once you put a one-way, a non-off, a one-way defensive player out there, you become easier to guard in the playoffs. Doc basically agreed, saying playing one-way guys in the playoffs it creates more challenges for other players who play with that player and other coaches. Do you agree with that uh, assessment, Eric? Yeah. yeah um, so, yeah, that I just found that interesting. I just, you know, uh, so I don't know. I mean, uh, Dave Early actually commented when Bill Simmons re- uh, tweeted it out and said, um, uh, you know, what do you think What do you think Dallas will give us for Toby and Mat- Matisse? So even if it's to consolidate our roster and maybe get a trade going, I don't know. if I don't know if Thibault's stats are that good to be able to get out of um, – Huge contracts, but um, I mean, the Mavericks would take them. Just depends on what, what, what we yeah. do. Well, I heard they're having, I heard they're having trouble with um, Christian Wood right now, and he wants to be re-upped, and they don't plan on doing that. I heard so they might, they might be trying to move him at some point. He's play, he's actually playing lights out. I I, I think, yeah. um, but 
Christian Wood, Tobias Harris. Is that that's not it's not an improvement? It's like at best lateral. So making less money, sure, but I don't know. That's uh that's tough. You Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway Jr. for like Matisse and Toby. A little di- I mean, I don't I don't know. Um, we have similar problems though. We have, it's a minutes problem, right? Like we have we have a minutes problem. Uh, we don't if, have- if you made that trade, then then Tim Tim would play over shape. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Tim would play. Yeah. Um. Uh, I was gonna say, uh, he's all right. They uh, said this in the article too. He's taken. A, I, I just. Uh, I kind of clicked with me. I was like, "Hey, you're right." Um, taking a lot of Daniel House's minutes lately. Um, and yes, I think next to eat into it will probably be PJ a little bit too, which wouldn't be bad because I think we talked about this last week. Cut down on PJ's minutes a little bit. You don't need to play him 35, 36 minutes a game. It's not necessary, especially when you have Thibel right there. Yeah. And both those guys probably score around the same. I mean, it's not like Tucker's providing a, any kind of offensive like scoring either, and they're both good defenders. So it's not like we're taking no. away points by taking Tucker off. No. Yeah. Probably very, very similar in that regard. In fact, I think this year, Thibault's offense looks better than Tucker's because we talked about his, yeah. his scoring droughts. Yeah. But the, the thing is, Tucker can play. I mean, we start. Probably going to start Tucker now. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, but if, if Thibel was going scoreless the way PJ did, you would lose your mind. Yeah, oh, you I'd, be, I'd be slaughtering him. <laughs> I'd be slaughtering him. <laughs> I'm not even no bones about it. But with the same, with the, especially with the same amount of minutes? We yeah. can start Tucker at five, though. We can't start Thibel at five. I'm just saying you would lose your mind if that happened. That's, that's true. That's how you know. I don't, I don't think we. That's how you know you bias, man. He buys for the older man. Thing is, I don't think we'd even get that far. I think Doc would be more biased than me. He'd pull yeah, that. See, right that's what I'm saying. Doc yeah. would be like, can't shoot, can't shoot. I mean, you just pull him right away. Yeah. So, yeah. But with PJ, he's citing. You got Doc citing the plus minuses when they talk about PJ. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about Matisse's plus minus, it's it's a eh, well, we don't know that's playoff viable. Well, okay, but yeah. So, uh, Matisse, uh, what was your threshold you wanted him to shoot this year as far as uh, three-point percentage, Tasia? What was the number you, you had? Oh, I think he's definitely there. I, yeah, I he's, said, at 30, he's at 35% right now, 34. Uh, I think that was it. I think that was 35, 36, around there. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's, and that's precisely why we haven't heard anything. You're, you're not even praising him on the show, but you're not saying anything about him at all. He's he's hovering around there. Let's not let's not pop champagne like the seventy two dolphins. Okay, he's he's he's, he's hovering. Yeah, the, the, the Matisse Thibault uh, victory parade. Yeah, I'm not doing that just yet. He's hovering. Hey, come come like May, he's still shooting thirty six percent with the same amount of minutes, maybe more minutes. Okay, I'll start I'll start calling the parade companies out. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, so last uh, topic here, we kind of mentioned it uh, tonight. We uh, are hosting the Bulls. Uh, we are four and a half point favorite and no uh, Joel Embiid. Um, and uh, as Tasia said, that we are undefeated with uh, with Embiid against the Bulls in his uh, tenure with the Sixers. Um, so who do you guys have tonight? We're a four and a half point favorite at home. Who do you guys got? Um, it's going to be tough for us tonight. Do we start Tucker against Vooch? Who do we start at five? You put Reed at five or Harrell at five? You got to start Harrell the way he played the last game. 
and kind of see if it's a carryover. Um, Tucker's just too. I think he's just too small for Vooch, yeah, man. It's gonna be tough. I mean, it's, if if they're really really trying to play, and I think you know they beat the Nets, uh, I'll say we we don't um, pull it out tonight. You said we don't pull it out. Yeah, for the first time. Okay. Can't just be on here saying we can win every game. That's not real. <laughs> well, you could, but you'd be biased like me with yeah. Matisse. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not gonna win every game. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go out on the limb now. I'll say the opposite. Um, the spread, I, I, the spread makes me like us, which is weird because it's minus five without Embiid. I mean. They're coming off a good win. You think people are jumping? I need to look at the money. You think people are jumping on the on the Bulls the way uh, the way that spread is right now? Um, I kind of I, I I spread wise I like us, but if I'm just looking at the game and and matchups and everything, I'd I'd say them. Uh, I, I just I just don't know who's going to guard Vooch and 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 DeRozan always gets us good, man. He always he he roasts us. So I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Chicago based on that, but let me take a look at the uh, where the money's at because that that also means everything. So uh, I don't know if this is spread or just the money line, but 67 percent of uh, percentage of bets have been placed on the Sixers tonight versus 33 percent Chicago. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And the yeah, line's yeah. gone. And the line's gone down, so that doesn't doesn't really jive. So yeah. Uh, well, most of the money's on the sixty-three percent of the money's on the Bulls. Um, uh, money line or spread? Spread. Okay. So people like the four and a half, and it hasn't really moved. It's four and a half. So maybe I do like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. All right, guys. Well, hopefully we lock in another dub uh, in the Eastern Conference in, in the same week. So Indiana and the Chicago be great. Be a great week. A great closeout to the week. Yeah. Um, all right, fellas. Well, we hope you guys have a good weekend. Um, and that does it for us. Thanks for tuning in to Believe in 76ers presented by Bet Online. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, fellas. Right, guys. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.